This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Southwest Florida just went through the most intense climate event in modern history. When Hurricane Ian made landfall at the end of September, it brought with it storm surge levels not seen in this part of Florida in more than 150 years, as well as 150 mile an hour sustained winds, forcing thousands of people from their homes and disrupting all of our lives. While it might seem obvious that such an event would have an immediate negative impact on the mental well-being of those affected, there's a growing understanding among mental health professionals that underlying concerns over possible future natural disasters is also weighing on many people's minds. And there's growing evidence that the growing size and scope of natural disasters is being driven by climate change. On today's show, we're joined by a forensic psychiatrist who's an expert on the physical and psychological impacts of climate change. Besides her work as a forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Lisa Van Susteren co-founded the Interfaith Moral Action on Climate, the Climate Psychiatry Alliance, and the Climate Psychology Alliance North America. And she's author of the 2020 book, Emotional Inflammation, Discover Your Triggers and Reclaim Your Equilibrium During Anxious Times. I spoke with her earlier today. Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Van Susteren, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'd like to start by having you explain sort of what it is you do. You know, a lot of times I ask guests that, and but you've done a lot of things. Your experience is sort of broad and deep. So if you just met somebody and tried to say, you know, this is what I am and what I do, how would you describe that? Well, I'd probably first exhale with a little bit of resignation because I get into a lot of trouble for being involved in a lot of different things. But I am by training a general and forensic psychiatrist. And as you can perhaps imagine, if you think about it, well, first of all, people say, what's a forensic psychiatrist? A forensic psychiatrist is a person who has been trained to understand where psychiatry and the law uh, overlap. So anything that has to do with anything legal. And if you're a, a, a big uh, chatterbox, and I can sometimes be a chatterbox, people ask you to do a lot of different things. And as a result, I've been involved in legal cases uh, related now to climate uh, and mental health. Um, I have started a couple of 501c3 organizations that are dedicated to climate and mental health. Uh, and we are about to launch, I hope, a hotline uh, on climate and mental health. And then there's uh, all of the rest. I still do have a private practice in Washington, D.C. Um, what brings you to Southwest Florida? I saw, of course, uh, the images from Ian. And I have long been involved in uh, disasters and providing psychological first aid. My first trip uh, to a, an area that had been devastated uh, by a storm uh, was to Houston, the dome there after Katrina. I've been to Haiti. Uh, and seeing what happened here, a couple things. One is certainly to bring... Um, the message uh, of what resilience and hope and climate action especially can do to change the sort of uh, direction we're going in. But there's a part of me that knows that I can do some psychological first aid, and it's a feeling of solidarity with you. Who are you going to be talking to or meeting with while you're here in town? A range of different people, of course, you. And uh, that's a way to meet a lot of people or reach a lot of people. I'm also speaking at a couple of churches. I um, have spoken and will continue to speak to local organizers. 
uh, and um, a, a people that have been selected as being particularly interested from other faith traditions in, uh, uh, well, we're calling it a lecture, but it's more like a fireside chat, although you don't say that in Florida probably very much. <laughs> I'm betraying my East Coast uh, or Wisconsin roots, uh, an, an extended Q&A. Uh, with individuals. Is that something that people listening would be be able to attend, or is that uh, open to everyone? I think that they would be, but you know what's even better is why don't people email me? I can set things up. I do Zoom calls. If you're interested, can, should I give my email address? I'm happy I'll to. put it in the web okay, post great. for the show. All right, great. I would love to speak to your group and uh, talk to you about what um, the certainly the emotions are that you have uh, as a, um, a spinoff and, uh, of uh, the recent storms that you've had, and something that I, I thought I coined this term, but it turns out that I only popularized it, but it's pre-traumatic stress, and that's thinking about the next one, and how do you deal with that? And just as a shorthand response, I'm not going to leave people uh, feeling as if their pants are down, so to speak, but... Uh, to turn around and recognize that in the grief, um, the despair sometimes, and the anger, the outrage that we haven't taken the action in uh, the needed action in time, there's a lot of energy in there. And the trick is to capture the energy of those emotions and redirect them into constructive action. We talked on this show a couple weeks after Ian made landfall with um, a group of people who are part of the first ever state-sponsored by the state of Florida mental health and wellness field unit. It was supported, I think they're actually still working, uh, supported by the Florida State Emergency Response Team, or CERT. Uh, They deployed a a group of counselors first to Sanibel and then to Fort Myers Beach. Um, They were therapists, counselors, massage therapists, and this was state-sponsored, and they framed it as this is kind of a brand new thing. Um, had you heard of that? And if not, it, what do you? is that some sort of evidence that maybe mental health issues in the wake of a natural disaster are starting to be taken more seriously? So I'll start at the top, and that is that I had not heard of it until I came here. And that's one of the benefits of having come, is that you learn what other uh, states, individuals, et cetera, are doing. And when you talked about what am I doing at the moment, I left out one very important feature or action effort that I'm working on with uh, individuals from the Climate Psychiatry Alliance and from another group called the Climate Psychology Alliance North America. We do outreach and advocacy, and we have bills that we are dropping soon, Massachusetts, Maryland most likely. Uh, We hope Maine will be next. Uh, and uh, other states were not just sticking st- sticking to the M's like Michigan and Missouri. We'd love to make Florida our next place, and that would be wonderful if some enterprising mental health professional got in touch with me because we have drawn up legislation uh, to identify the extreme weather events to which a state is vulnerable, and the uh, state will then authorize in a task force or work group the um, inventory of all of the mental health services that are currently available and what will be needed in the years to come. So Florida already took the bit in its mouth and ran with it, which is excellent. 
but there's more work, and we need to make it um, legislative. We need to get legislation on this, and we need to have a group of respected individuals who can identify where the vulnerabilities are, where our resources are, and what we can do about it. You know, it's interesting because Florida is, if not last, second to last in the country when it comes to funding for mental health issues, which is, to me, why I was actually kind of surprised that they did this sort of thing in the wake of Ian. But uh, it's, it's, it's progress either way, I suppose. Well, you know, Margaret Mead, and I always thought this was such an overused statement, she says, never doubt that a small group of people can make a, a big change or do make big changes in the world. In fact, it's always or only small groups. And I'm guessing that what happened here in Florida was there were a couple of people really savvy, really compassionate, and really uh, energized and um, identifying with what people are going through. They got together. They made this happen. Hmm. Uh, You mentioned pre-traumatic stress disorder. I came across another term in reading up on you called solastalgia. Yeah. Um, can you explain what that is? <laughs> well, and, first, and, and the question, is, the follow-up after you explain it is, um, are having terms like that something that can allow people to understand that there's something that they're feeling? Absolutely. In answer to your last question, let me start to, by saying, well, first of all, I said pre-traumatic stress disorder. I used to call it a disorder, but maybe now it's a reasonable response to what we're seeing. So uh, I might ax that disorder and say pre-traumatic stress condition. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is, while I'd love to lay claim to solastalgia, it was my, um, I call him a good buddy. I don't know if he'd call me his good buddy, but a wonderful individual uh, uh, from um, uh, Australia named Glenn Albrecht. And Glenn Albrecht coined the term solastalgia. And it was for the following reason. Uh, Solastalgia suggests, uh, alja is the word for pain. And I think solace, I've forgotten now exactly what that means. But the sense of the term is that it is the pain that we experience in seeing lands or places that were once treasured now changed irreparably by the hands of or by the fingerprints of humans. So if it's a strip mine, uh, and that's how, in fact, the term was originally coined by him, a strip mine in Western Australia, or if it's, uh, which was obviously uh, the um, effect of individuals in um, a, a coal company and complicit legislators, let's uh, or, or policymakers, obviously, uh, but then the fingerprints of humans on the increasing frequency and intensity of storms. So when you have the fingerprints of humans on this and you see those treasured places that lost forever, that feeling that you get is soul nostalgia. Hmm. As compared to nostalgia, I suppose. As compared to nostalgia, yes. Hmm. Um, in 2011, you co-authored, I think it was a paper. It didn't really describe what the nature of the thing you co-authored was, but it was called The Psychological Effects of Global Warming on the U.S., why the U.S. mental health system is not prepared. That was 11 years ago. Are we any more prepared? Are we a lot more prepared? How, give us the trajectory oh, since then. <laughs> Ask me no questions and I'll tell you no lies. Uh, the original conference was actually in 2009. 
And uh, I didn't get out what amounted to the proceedings of this conference of the same name until two years later. So it's actually been 13 years. And we are now, uh, with the help of Mother Nature, at that time, the um, extreme weather that we're now experiencing wasn't as apparent, including brutally hot summers and, of course, uh, storms that are just ripping us to shreds. So it was a bigger uh, slog to get organizations involved, not individuals so much because I could tap them, but organizations were sort of like, huh, huh, what does that have to do with psychiatry or psychology? Less so, the psychologists were more open, actually. It was the psychiatrists who were uh, a little bit less inclined. But we've been pounding them now for the last decade. And of course, as I said, uh, Mother Nature has made the point. So we are seeing now an uptick. Are we where we need to be? Not even close. But we are, as I say, picking up speed every day, more people getting involved. In this little group, I'm going to say it again, Climate Psychiatry Alliance and another one, Climate Psychology Alliance North America. We have a social workers group that's going to be put together. And what these groups have done is gone out, fanned out, and been talking about this issue, been inviting people to attend seminars and what we call climate cafes. So spreading the word so people are now conscious on a deeper level. Um, I listened to an interview you gave, and you talk about looking for what you described as climate-aware therapists. Can you explain, like, what you mean by that? I think oh, it's fairly it's, self-evident. It, but. It, it, I, I sure can explain. Uh, I was getting all these calls uh, from people who were seeking help for their climate anxiety. And, and the last call, and that's when I said, I got to do something, was from an individual from actually a coal state. But I guess that's an irrelevant detail, but it was a fellow who said that his girlfriend uh, wouldn't leave the apartment. She was so frightened uh, and sort of paralyzed uh, by her anxiety and distress about climate issues uh, that she had become almost agoraphobic. Okay, he wanted me to help. I said, well, listen, this is before the pandemic. I said, it's best to get somebody nearby so you can have face-to-face -face experience with a therapist. And then he said to me, that's not possible. We've tried. And then I heard uh, subsequently so many people telling me they would go to see a therapist to talk about their climate distress. And the therapist would say, well, are you sure everything's okay at work? Uh, are you sure, you know, financial issues or maybe some experiences from childhood? They didn't get it. And so I said, we've got to start a directory so people can look locally to get help and uh, then can talk to people who have already been uh, uh, self-described as being climate aware, and they don't have to go through this arduous process of trying to convince the therapist that there's a problem. And so uh, with a little bit of blank faces, uh, we started the, the Climate Aware Therapist directory, and I say blank faces because you know, and this is something if you're an organizer or an activist, boy, if there's one trait that I have found that's useful, by gosh, it's perseverance. Do not expect the first uh, flyover uh, you're going to get a sale because you usually don't. 
if you're thinking ahead, then you're going to have to give it some time for people to get used to it. So Climb Aware Therapist Directory is now really taking off. We're doing trainings. Go on Climate Psychology Alliance North America. You'll find tons of trainings. All right. We'll link that to our website as well. If you're just joining the show, I'm talking with Dr. Lisa Van Susteren. She's a forensic psychiatrist, an author, and an expert on the physical and psychological impacts of climate change. And she co-founded the Climate Psychology Alliance and what was the other one? Climate Psychiatry. It turns out, you know, everybody doesn't always have to have a love fest. And the psychiatrist and the psychologist, and now I can see the benefit of it. But first I thought, oh, this is just going to be a Norman Rockwell painting where we're all just lovey-dovey working together. We really did have to play to our strengths and allow for our differences, and that did it. Understood. Um, She is in Southwest Florida offering trauma counseling to people who are impacted by Hurricane Ian. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's conversation or any of our episodes, we invite you to do so using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook and on Twitter. I read an editorial you wrote called A Parable Parable for Climate Collapse um, that used the collapse of the Champlain Towers South Condo over in Surfside as a sort of metaphor for our collective lack of will to address climate change. Can you flesh that out a little bit for our listeners? Yeah. uh, As I'm sure Floridians know, the inspectors looked at uh, the – I believe it was the metal uh, infrastructure uh, and the concrete surrounding uh, Champlain uh, Towers South and determined that it was in bad need of repair. And uh, they told various people, including some of the people on the board, and what happened was people delayed taking action because they felt that there was more time or that maybe they were dramatizing or who knows what was going through their minds. But it reminds me still so much of what happens with climate. By the time people recognize there are problem, there's really a bad problem uh, and actually take action, it's after the fact. And we are at a tipping point right now where Earth's climate systems and the rise in temperature are colliding, which means that increases in temperature of even moderate amounts risks uh, triggering uh, climate changes, tipping points that we cannot undo. So that's uh, very reminiscent. It was, and I wrote this right after the collapse uh, and the loss of so many lives uh, and, and the pathos of knowing that we could have done something had we acted in time. And this brings up another topic, which is which is kids. But we don't have to go there right now. But I would like to talk about kids. Well, let's talk about kids for a little bit. All right. Uh, I am involved in two major legal actions. I say major because one is Juliana. Uh, versus the federal government. 21 youth plaintiffs and James Hansen, the renowned climate scientist, I am the expert witness on the psychological damages to the kids. And I interviewed the kids, and my interviews of them personally uh, are are, um, HIPAA, Uh, protected. But my report, which is a 25-page report identifying the harms that will be coming disproportionately to kids, including uh, the despair, the outrage, the feelings of 
betrayal and abandonment by policymakers uh, is captured there along with uh, the um, uh, mental health uh, effects of feeling that life, that they're doomed, which some of them do, and even the cognitive impacts of all the stressors when you've been through so many or any uh, extreme weather events, that stress modifies the brain in ways that can sometimes be permanent. We call them uh, um, ACEs. Uh, they are um, uh, adverse childhood experiences that have a cumulative toll on how we use our brains and predispose us to stress in the future. Okay, so that's one case. And the second case is held versus the state of Montana. And it is um, a, a case of 16 youth plaintiffs suing the state of Montana, also on constitutional grounds. I forgot to say that for Juliana. But the constitutional grounds in Juliana are the right we have to life, liberty, and property, uh, which the children are being deprived of. And in held, it's <clears throat> a violation of their constitutional right explicitly described in, in their writing uh, to protect the citizens of Montana uh, or provide for them a healthy and safe environment. Hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your book. You wrote uh, Emotional Inflammation, Discover Your Triggers and Reclaim Your Equilibrium During Anxious Times a couple years ago. Uh, tell us about that and, and how it aligns with uh, this other stuff we're talking about. Well, um, I wrote it with my good buddy, Stacy Colino, and Stacy was just a gem. And um, we only, I've said jokingly, uh, we only wanted to murder each other about 10% of the time, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, and um, we had a just a, such a fun experience writing that book because it's all about solutions. And what it talks about that just, it, it used to, it would put me in such a good mood, it still does. It's all about connection and how we have essentially not been aware that many of the troubles that we face today, which is a huge surge in anxiety and depression, I sound like Debbie Downer, but it doesn't have to be this way, but the numbers are there. And we, in the book, talk about all the ways that we can reconnect, not only with each other and looking at our coping styles, because there's a test in it that tells you or suggests your coping style, which may or may not be working against you, but all the ways we evolved, the hand of nature shaped us, and we evolved to live with nature and to respond to nature. And it's in this book all the myriad ways that we can restore our equanimity and our connection to each other and the bounty and beauty of nature uh, that we know restores our health and our equanimity. Um, this is going to sound like a strange question maybe. Oh, but I, I love but, strange but, but, questions. But I'm thinking on this. Um, does one have to believe that climate change is real to be emotionally damaged by the effects of it. Oh gosh, no. Uh, I, we can all see that that's uh, that we are are experiencing extreme weather events. Whether it doesn't matter where uh, you believe it come or what you believe it comes from, uh, that's irrelevant. And you know about climate deniers. Um, I'm just going to say this. I understand very well because I'm kind of an avoider uh, when I don't like to hear something. I actually 
sometimes forget things. And I've noticed even with patients, I hope they're not listening, but occasionally if they'll tell me something particularly troubling that isn't necessarily relevant to their whole narrative, but if it pained them particularly in a way that it doesn't explain everything, I tend to suppress that because it can be adaptive not to think that the world is coming apart or that no one is in control or that there are forces beyond us. Um, we want to think we're masters of the universe, that we got this. And also, you know, when you and I, who hasn't experienced this, when you said no to something in the past or something wasn't right, boy, is that hard to turn around and say, just kidding, I was wrong. Uh, and then there's the profit motive. There are people who maintain power uh, and financial advantage uh, because they discount climate. I get all of that. I, I promise you I do. Uh, but what we can do is think of ourselves as stewards. Then if you don't want to talk about climate, and if you are a faith-based person, I'm not really, but if you are, and I've organized a group called the Interfaith Moral Action on Climate, and we have every major religion involved, and it's the issue of stewardship because what we can do is we can restore nature, caring for nature, making sure that animals and plants and people can survive by making decisions that are consistent with the health and the bounty of nature. You don't have to mention climate. Hmm. Uh, last question, and we have only got about a minute, so you're going to have to keep it tight. Um, how do you sound the alarm about issues so serious without causing, you know, psychological strain on people? Like, you know, there's a there's a dichotomy there, it feels like. You can't. There is psychological strain. And I want people to realize that we can't dodge the anxiety, the trauma, the sorrow and all the rest. You can't dodge it. So what you got to do is learn to work with it. Take the energy of those emotions and turn it into constructive action. All right. That is all the time we have. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Lisa Van Susteren, is a forensic psychiatrist and author and expert on the physical and psychological impacts of climate change. She's in town to work with some people who were impacted by Ian. Dr. Van Susteren, thank you so much. Thank you. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today our show today was produced by yours truly. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.